Welcome to our community. This is Sarah Tova Best. We are talking about um, the revolution that transforms darkness to light. How do we transform darkness to light? And a global revolution um, that comes through France, and we're going to see in a minute, that actually it says, This Gullus that goes for, for the Jewish people that goes all the way to France. Um, Etc. And they will inherit Ari Negev and we will go up, the redeemers will go up to Hartian and they will judge Hartian and the whole kingdom will belong to Hashem. What does that mean? When we are coming to global Geula, somehow it comes through France. Wow. Somehow it comes through France. And so the, the question, right, it goes to the lowest part, goes to the lowest place. So in, in a sense, when we're transforming to dark, darkness to light, here's the question. Why, why would we have to go to such a low place? Very simple answer. Try to lift up this table. In fact, let's say you take a big bookcase. No, this table. So people say, let's, let's pick up the table and let's move it to the other room. So everybody picks it up right underneath the top and little, you know, unbeknown to us, nobody ever screwed the legs in properly. So it breaks in half. You know, in other words, the legs remain on the floor and the top of the, and the top of the table goes into the next room. So that's not lifting up the whole table. That's just <laughs> ruining the table. So there's a principle in Tyra that if you want to lift up everything, you must go underneath the very bottom. You must go to the very bottom, lift up from the very bottom, and then if you lift up from there, everything is lifted up. So now when you think about emotionally, medically, spiritually, you name it, everything that's going on, you have to go to the very bottom and lift up the lowest of the lowest of the low, and that lift, that enables you to lift up everything. Okay, so now the question is, people ask this question, they're saying, we understand that the geula has to be a global geula in which the entire world comes to redemption. Where do we see that? It can't be just one person, one place. It has to be this global redemption. Where do we see it? And the answer that, that the Lubavitcher ever gives is, that it says in Tyra that there's a din that um, so does we say it when you're in Rome do as the Romans do. So do you? So yes, in a way, when we're in Rome do do as the Romans do, meaning that when we if we were sent out of the land of Israel when the base of Megdish was destroyed in order, it says Hashem sent us out all over the world in order to create Gerim in order to not only to partly bring people to Yiddishkeit, but more than that, to take all of the sparks that are scattered all over the world and bring them back to, bring them to their source. That's why, so that's why each of us, what, two of us grew up in foreign countries, two of, well, and other, there are four people here, three different countries of origin. And not only that, are there three different, four, three different countries of origin. Where you grew up, you basically absorb, we call it like the dirt of the place. In other words, we do have those ways of being. That's why you'll see that um, um, you walk into a place and they're all the Canadians, let's say, or the, uh, or the South Africans. You know, they're like, oh, yes, hello, yes, please do come in. Yes, 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 yes. And, and right, and they're very, they'll be polite and all of that. Or if they're Canadian, they'll be very kind of, you know, I'm sorry to say shut down, you know, like, you know, very um, aloof, very aloof, you know, very aloof. And then, let's say, there will be the Israelis and the Moroccans. They're like, yeah, what's going on here? Hey, where were you? You were over there? Yeah, yeah, what, what do you think? You know, like, 
you know, in other words, a Canadian will just not even bother asking, you know, like, hello, hello, nice to see you. And, in a, and a Moroccan will have to know everything about your family history for the, you know, in the first five minutes, like, could I, could I take off my coat? Right? So what is that based on? What is that based on? And, and we're, you, you see the Jewish people, the same thing, that our, our animal soul lived in that place and absorbs the ways of the place. You literally can tell, you can be in a, a huge room, talk to a lot of people, and you can say, I bet you come from, you can clock which country they come from, based on, unless they've been here for a long time. But if they just arrived from their country, you know where they've come from. Somebody who's more, as we call it, militant, more pushy, is usually from a, a, a North African country. Because in North African countries, it's, yeah, because the prevailing culture is Islam. And in Islam, they're very comfortable about, we are here to make war. We are here to make war. We're not uncomfortable. We're very proud of it. So there's that warlike, very aggressive way. So that's why you'll see among North African Jews, even if they're very, there are some very able ones, but it's still a more forthright way of being than let's say a Canadian Jew. I remember in the, I forget when, but when I grew up in Montreal, the only people who spoke French were not Jewish, that's for sure. They were Roman Catholics. And then at some point, all these Moroccans started to come into Montreal. And I couldn't wrap my head around it because I I thought that... Um, that's fr- mentality. Well, no, I thought that French is a non-Jewish language. If, if you're not Jewish, if you're not Jewish, you speak French, you know, when you're a little kid. If you're not Jewish, you speak French, and if you're Jewish, you speak English. That was my, in, in Montreal, in Montreal specifically, right? So, so non-Jews speak French. Oh, and he's all there. So I didn't know, you know, outside of my little, in Quebec, my little Sliva, and then all these Moroccans came in, and they were Jewish, and they spoke French, so I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite figure out that didn't make any sense in, in, in my world. But, and they brought into Canada, which is a, you know, you know, quite a conservative place. Let, let's just say it's at this, that when I was in university, I remember that I was standing at a bus stop. And a woman, you know, bilingual, most people are bilingual at this point. Bilingual woman said, you know, very, you know, kind of Roman Catholic bilingual um said to me with her teeth clenched she said you stepped on my toe but that's all right wow. <laughs> and there was such anger in her restraint and i remember students in university saying they like they said um in all my years of, as a child you know they were 25 at that point they said i never ever heard my parents raise their voice and i thought i oh you say you poor thing <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing, how could you live that way? Give Valtishrigan. Seriously? They never raised their voice? They said they never heard anybody yell in twenty five years. They're like, Oh my goodness. What? <laughs> right, right, you know, but that was the culture. That was the white Anglo Saxon Protestant culture of we don't raise our voices. You know, okay, whatever it is. So the Canadian culture is, is more like that. It's like we don't we don't we don't you know, everything you know, kind of undercover. Then you have these Moroccans coming here who are like, wow, you know, militant. Very interesting. But they, they kind of, I see the Moroccans in, in Montreal kind of got uh, toned down. You know, they're not, they're not the real, like the ones in New York. Yeah, they're there. They like, they, they slowed them down. So, but this concept of if you're going to make a revolution in the world and you're going to lift up all of the sparks 
that are in that place that are embedded in that spark. Not not only in that in that place, not only are the sparks embedded, you are embedded. You're the embedded whatever we want to call it, embedded journalist. Embedded journalist that is sent there to report on and what's going on and create transformations and steal the sparks and run. You know, like a football player, steal the sparks and run. Run to Yerushalayim with the sparks. That's what you're there for. As soon as you're finished, you can leave. So, I, it's true that the Rebbe said that the sparks have already been elevated. So, what we're doing now, I guess we're pulling down the light of Mashiach into those vessels that we've created by being in those places. But I'm saying that you very much see that the animal soul, the the way that a person acts is very much determined by his country. With some exceptions. With some exceptions. Just go into 770 and you can tell who's from where. Based on for instance, I'm just saying, let's say there's a table full of food. The people who are the most likely to actually not get the food they wanted are from Commonwealth countries because they'll feel like, okay, I don't want to be pushy. And so, you know, and, and everybody else took before me. The people who are not from the Commonwealth countries just take. What, are they going to wait for somebody to invite them? Right? So Canada, South Africa, Australia, uh, UK, they're just, they'll wait, they'll, they'll wait patiently, you know, polite. They'll wait patiently and politely to, you know, for somebody to say, come, come, no, come, come in and take something to eat. By that time, there's no more food. Now, the people from North Africa, et cetera, they, they got what they needed to eat. So, right? So, um, you know, by the way, I have friends who live in Israel, but they're Americans, and I say to them, I seem to be the Israeli from 770, and you seem to be the American, although you live there. You're like, okay, I don't want to be pushy. I said, I don't know why. I want to be pushy. So that means that, that, means that in order to – I hope whoever is listening to this doesn't see it as a, a shtech. On the contrary, I'm one of the pushy people, so I, I think it's good. So the point is that we have to live in that place. Tyra says the Iker Gado Bidvarm Ela – is that you is that you have to go into the customs of the place, live there, eat their food, if you're Jewish, in a way that's permissible, go on their time schedule and 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 do their customs in a way that's permissible. Why? Because we need to that's that's where the sparks are and we need to extract those sparks and bring them back to Yerushalayim. Now, what do you think? Isn't there anything more profound than doing that, just extracting the sparks? In the, so one thing is, I'm looking at the customs, I'm living those customs, I, eat, I live in France, I eat croissant for breakfast, or I live in New York, I eat bagels for breakfast, or if, if I live in New York, I eat cornflakes for breakfast, cornflakes, you know, or Captain Pops or something like that with sugary Captain Pops with milk, and then I get a headache, and then, you know, etc. That's what you have to do if you're American. So not only do I extract the sparks from it, we have a bigger slichus. Go and live in with that custom and take it and make it yours. That's the name of the game in the aggressive places. They say, this is mine. I took it from you and now it belongs to me. That's the name of the game in war. Where do they get that concept in war? I took, England goes to France, France goes to England, says, well, your territory now is mine. Places like Strasbourg, no one ever, you know, who, which country does it belong to? There are always these places 
over there in, in Europe that they're always belonging to somebody else. The land of Israel belonged to the Turks. That's the whole story of Yitzhak Kislev. When the Alter Rebbe was sending money to the Turks, they said, aha, he's planning to make a revolution in Turkey. No, he was sending tzedakah money to Eretz Yisrael that was under the Turks. So, our job is not only extract the sparks from these customs, transform them to customs of Kedusha. Make them into Torah customs. Why not? So one of the main way that we go in, the point is that this is the introduction, this is the revolution that introduces or that explains what's called Schlichus. Schlichus is a, a new concept from the 1960s. Yeah? It's something that belongs to this generation, the Darashvi. It really didn't exist in a formal way ever before. Sending people out from the place where they were born, sending them to live in whatever country you're sent to as a shliach, you're expected to learn the language. Right. The only people who don't are Americans who moved to Israel and never learned Hebrew. But, but they're not shluchim. But if you move to Argentina, and, and you, have to, you have to speak as well as they do. I mean, sometimes it's with a funny accent, because if you hear, you hear Hasidim, you know, the, the older guys speaking French, uh, you know, the Hanukkah thing, uh, and they have the funniest accent. You know, they have Russian accent. Hmm. But they know. You, right, right. You have to, Japanese, you have to learn their language, not only because otherwise how will they, come on, many people around the world speak English. Why can't you go on Shlichus and, and speak English and say, well, we don't speak your language? Because most, much of the sparks are embedded in the language. Mm-hmm. So if you are sent on Shlichus to Japan, you must learn Japanese for the purpose of elevating the sparks. And then on some level, Japanese becomes a Taira language. Remember that the 70 languages of the world, how do we make them the 70 languages? How is Maishu Rabbeinu allowed to, and how are we then allowed to translate Taira into 70 languages? Because the fact is, the whole translation of the Taira into Greek, which has to do, you know, maybe we'll say next week, with the Hanukkah story, it was a big problem. How do you, how do you dare to translate the Taira into Greek? And yet we have translation into the 70 languages. Only if we make those languages Taira languages, their part, Taira says 70 languages. Now they become Taira languages. How do we make them into Taira languages? So that, that was the whole other question. Why? So, but, but how do they become Taira languages? People go and teach Taira, learn Taira, have, have holy conversations in those foreign languages, those 70 languages. We're speaking in English now. We're not speaking in Lush and Akkadish. We're speaking in English. We think it's normal. Who says it's normal? To us, it's perfectly normal that we should do this year in English, not just because, you know, somebody could say, well, just learn Hebrew and, and, and give it up. Stop talking, talking in English. But by doing this year in English, it's, it's, it's grabbing what used to belong to the, the world of Klippus Naiga, of Naiga, and even lower, and we then buy it up like Monopoly game. We buy up all the real estate of the world for Hashem and bring everything back to Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, to, to physical and spiritual Yerushalayim. So, right. 
So it comes, I don't know if we're going to see at the end. Hold on. So what? One second. So we're going to see. So therefore we see that this whole transformation that we're looking at really is expressed through the country of France. Because as we said, the Navi says this gul, right, this gul, no, no, the Navi says this gul, it goes all the way, this gul is, So we're saying that the the, the, the Navi, I think, um, Ovadia, I'm not sure, I have to look up the, he says, this gull is for the Yidden that goes all the way to France. And we were saying, you know, it, it goes all the way to France. What do you mean all the way to France? And this gull is turned to Gula. France is the epitome of, on some level, spiritually, the lowest of the low. It seems, I mean, we understand there's Tineas and all of that other stuff, but um, growing up in Quebec, I can tell you, I'm not going to give you stories now on the, but it, let's just say their sneeze in their mind is wow uh, not not they're they the, the way they think whatever I won't go into the way they think is oh my goodness so but I won't say it on the recording so that's that's Quebecois people Quebecois people especially you know Quebec France and, and, and Quebec very so the fact is, why does it come through France? Because the complete purification of the world, the Biru, what does that mean, the purification of the world? The entire um, kingship will belong to Hashem is done through and by through France, believe it or not. So therefore, we have to understand there obviously was some kind of a revolution that happened in France, and it did, because the Alta Rebbe fought Napoleon with every, everything that he had. And the Alter Rebbe said in his holy language, when Napoleon, we know that Napoleon went into, into Russia, they had a plan to conquer the entire world, the final solution, to conquer the entire world. And Napoleon was quite successful. When he decided now he's going for the big guns, he's going to conquer Russia, he went in with 600,000 soldiers. I read it in a plain history book. He came out with, you know, at the end, with two or three. It was, the whole thing was destroyed. Obviously, because the Alter Rebbe was fighting him. But, of course, what happened to Gashmius is Napoleon went in. They had to go through a winter in Russia. Um, they thought that they were going to stop at each village and insist, let's say it nicely, that the villagers allow them to stay in their homes. Let's leave, let's, let's leave, let's leave the rest out. Um, the villagers knew that. And so all the villagers burned their fields, fields and homes and left and ran away. So as the, Russia, as the French soldiers were going in, there was nothing for them to eat and no place to, for them to stay. Imagine the self-sacrifice of the French people. And, of course, how much more so the Yidden. Because the Alter Rebbe said, we do not want Napoleon to win. So the Alter Rebbe said, in Inyanasef base, they say Bonaparte. If Bonaparte will win, Yorba, I should be Yisrael, the arm carrying Yisrael then the, the Yidin will be wealthy and they will be exalted. You know, they'll have a lot of honor, good jobs, good positions, a lot of money, but their hearts will become separated from their Father in Heaven. If Beis wins, Bonaparte, forget it. We will become spiritually decimated. If Aleph wins, Alexander, even though we will be poor and life will be very, very difficult, however, our hearts will remain one with Hashem, with our Father in Heaven. So every single leader, including every single Jewish leader, said, we want base to win, Bonaparte. 
And only the elder of a one lone voice in the entire world said, we want Aleph to win, Alexander. You think Zar Alexander was some big tzaddik? Of course not. But he was better. He did not bring with him the kind of spiritual klipa that Bonaparte, that, that Napoleon um, brought with him. Because what was, I once had to do in fifth grade, the five reasons for the French Revolution. So what was he looking to do? It was very, very clear. He he brought with him this feeling of You see all this food over here? You see these muffins here? I made them. I made them. Without me, they never could have been made. As opposed to the Alter Rebbe said, oh, really? I thought Hashem made them, and you were part of the process. No. What Hashem? I made them. Maybe God's there. You know, okay, we could remember God, but I made these muffins. I created this success. My wealth is mine. I created it. That, in its essence, is the deepest klipa. When we sit in the sukkah, sukkah's time, we sit there so because at that time of year, when we worked a whole summer in the fields and we brought in all this produce, we might say, wow, look at what I accomplished with my hands. So we sit in the sukkah and say, and, and it, it brings us to that feeling of, no, 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 no. You were given this hook but you didn't accomplish it. Hashem accomplished it. It seems like a subtle point, but is the entire difference from one extreme to the other in, 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 in truth, in Yiddishkeit. To the extent that Napoleon, who represents this, you know, I did it with my hands, had to be defeated and eliminated. If he hadn't, we, Yiddish, we wouldn't be sitting here having a shear today. We wouldn't be doing any of that. Everything would have not happened. So at all costs, he had to, had to be eliminated. That shows you that the incredible, that the klipa of me and my myself and my hands created all, all this success, that incredible klipa was embedded in France. So then a little bit we get that sense of, uh-huh, so France was the lowest of the low spiritually. It didn't seem that bad. It doesn't even seem that bad now. But we don't understand what was going on under behind the scenes. Well, well Napoleon was the, the the representative of France, and his sense of gaiva and, and, and ego was horrific. And, his, and he, what, what was he there to do? Overthrow the king and the queen. Overthrow the king and the queen, which meant not just overthrow the king. This kind of king and queen, Louis the Sixteenth, and you know, and Marie Marie Antoinette, they were really out to lunch. Well, she was <laughs> she was out to lunch with her cake thing. He was not out to lunch. He was probably just an evil guy. I don't remember from fifth grade, but he was probably just a very evil guy, and she was just totally out of it. But they obviously, but so Napoleon said, let's get rid of them. He's okay, right? But that's not what he meant. He meant, let's get, get rid of all malchus, all kingship. We don't need the king and queen anymore. We, the people, take over. Sounds good, right? And it's so subtle. I'm telling you, when I was in the, in the, in the train station in Rome a lot of years ago, and I think I missed the train, I remember there was some guy with a backpack on his back, and he said, man, when the people take over, everything's going to be different. Those were the revolutions in the 70s, right? When the people take over. And it's true. I, before we finish this, this, this audio, I want to say we have to realize that let's, – let's, let's look at it like this. Napoleon is saying 
fraternity, you know, equality, fraternity, uh, you can tell my accent is no good. Equality, fraternity, liberté. Liberty, equality, fraternity, right? What is liberty for him? We don't need the king and the queen. We don't need Malchus. We don't need Mashiach. What do you think he's really saying? We don't need Melech Mashiach. We don't need him. We have ourselves. We can achieve. That is liberté. Equalité, we're all equal. Who needs a king and a queen? We're all equal. And fraternité, right? We're all brothers in this. And, and well, now, you, you know, now, now with the social rules in, in the world having been broken, whatever brotherhood means to be, you know, everybody has access to every, you know, every relationship becomes, you know, becomes permissible. It, it's one big mishmash when it comes to klipa. So all of the ideas of what liberty, equality, and fraternity meant for Napoleon was the Kalipadic version of this. And when he said the people should take over, he didn't, he meant it in the way the Paro would say. Meaning the people take over, who needs the king and the queen? Who needs Malchus? Who needs Mashiach? Who needs Hashem? That stuff goes. Now, watch this. Let's turn it around. What do you think the Alter Rebbe brought? Remember, the Alter Rebbe he is the Klipadik um there and the, the Managa, the, the the antithesis, right, of, of Kedusha, of holiness. You have the Alter Rebbe and Lahabla you have Napoleon. And they're both standing for the same thing. Only one means it in holiness and one mean it, means it in the opposite of holiness. Because the Alter Rebbe also introduced with Chabad Hasidus a revolution. Liberty, equality, fraternity. Fraternity, all Hasidim are one family. All Yidin are one family. Well, there's the fraternity. Equality on the level, level of neshama. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or shpitz or not shpitz or anything. We're all equal on the level of neshama. The author have introduced this. Before that, there were, there were levels of, you know, you're this and I'm that. The author have made everybody equal. Hasidim. Chabad Hasidim made everybody equal. Chabad Hasidim. Hold on one second, one second. Wait. And Hasid, wait, hold on. And Hasidus made it that everybody's brothers. And Hasidus made it liberty. You can never be free unless you live a, a life of deep connection to Tyra. Your freedom is fake freedom otherwise. Yeah. And what is the main Hasidus we see of the Alter Rebbe? The people take over. What do you mean? How do you know the people take over? We're doing it right now. I can make, I can do this audio. I can make a, a podcast, which I am, send it out. But one second, what if I became, somebody who became from Friday afternoon, went to a Chabad house, right, for Shabbos. They're like, this is it. I can't believe it. They start, they immediately, they're very techy. They create a podcast, The Truth About Tyra, and they read a bunch of stuff on Chabad.org, and they and they make a website by Monday evening. And they have this incredible, and they have, 5,000 followers by Monday evening because they're very smart, they're very techy, and they know how to, they know how to publicize themselves, right? Who are you? Your rabbi was studying in yeshiva for 25 years and he's been on shlichus for 40 years. And you are now more popular than him and people are going to your website and listening and watching you on Instagram and not watching your rabbi. Your rabbi's been in this for 50 years. You've been in this since Friday afternoon. Correct? So what's that all about? So that means there's a certain level of the people take over that Chabad Hasidus is, in, is, 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 is initiating that Napoleon was talking about it, but he meant without Hashem. And the Alter Rebbe means with Hashem. 
the people take over. In last week's Sikha, the Rebbe said, we will come to a point in Yemaisam Shirk where, um, that in a way, in so, so to speak, it's as if the Yidden, like the moon and the sun, the, will, so to speak, be equal, because it will be revealed that Yisra, Tyra, Yidden, and Hashem are all one piece. What do you mean it's all one piece? You mean whatever Hashem is, we are? On some level, yeah. What? Hashem is eternal. So are you. Hashem is ultimately wise. So are you. Hashem is ultimately powerful. So are you. Hashem is infinite. So are you. Again, it's work to activate it. But Chabad Chassidus has, not Chabad Chassidus, the deepest aspects of Tyra are here to show that we all are equal and we are all equally empowered in Malchus. When the Rebbe says, I'm giving it over to you, he doesn't mean, I'm the leader, you follow what, he's saying, I'm giving you the job of being the leader. That doesn't mean he steps out. He brings Hashem even more powerfully into the picture. So, you see that concept of Napoleon, why did the Alta Rebbe have to fight Napoleon? He had to fight Napoleon because he had to, he had to trans, he had to steal, I, I guess, we didn't have to take from, let's say it like this. We talked about it last week about, about a Malek. We're not going to go into that whole thing. But in a way, just the idea that a Malek goes and steals the sparks from holiness because he doesn't have his own sparks. He absorbs them, and then they somehow become um, one unit with whatever little sparks a Malek has. And then eventually a Malek vomits them out because he doesn't have the vessels for so much holiness. And then it adds to us. So you see, in a way, the nations of the world steal from us. We're the only ones who have truth. But they come and they steal truth. You can go on a million websites, you know, just go on YouTube. You know, the truth about, you mean they use the word truth all the time. That's why it's an English word, truth. They think they have truth. Where they get truth from? They took it from us. In fact, Christianity took truth from us, right? There's lots of truth, and it's mixed. Where they, you know, as, as, as somebody said a few weeks ago, where they made the mistake is they created a religion based on love, and you can't. It's it's not a it's not a a, a viable kind of love that everybody can step into and, and maintain. You can't love people so much. It's unrealistic. So that's why. Well, what about the Crusades? That didn't seem very loving. What about the uh, the the Holocaust, what about the, you know... Before it became a religion of love. <laughs> no, why? It became a religion of love 2,000 years ago. So the Crusades were way after that. The Inquisition was way after that. You can't... The Crusades, you think that that was during the time of love? I think that it's more of a modern-day Christian... No, 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 no. The way, the way it was explained by a rabbi that Christianity was created based on love. You know, they're... You know, it's really for me coming from being a person from Christianity. Right. So the nations of the world take truth from us, steal truth from us, and they hold on to it. And then at some point, you know, and, and our job, and they kind of grab the sparks. They took all the kingdom of the base of English. They have them sitting in the basement of the Vatican or wherever. Um, but our job is then to go and take them back and bring them to Kedusha. So temporarily they're sitting in different places all over the world. At one point, I guess, the, all the sparks of Kedusha were probably a Harabais. I don't know. So 
Um, this idea of, 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 of grabbing it all back, and we're saying it all comes through, it's all centered around this revolution with Napoleon representing this mindset that is so close to, to truth, so close to Kedusha, so cl- close to the, the, the understanding of Tyra as we are in the Darshvi in this time which is the deepest truth, so close to the Pneumus the, Atayra, the, which is Chassidus, and yet it's just like, sorry, it's just like Maishu um, Rabbeinu and Lahavdil Taro. They both said, I created everything in the world. Only when Taro says it, he means himself. When Maishu Rabbeinu says it, he means Hashem. He means, I don't really exist. When I say I, I mean Hashem. And when Taro says it, he means, I means me. That's a little bit sort of that, that difference. When, when Napoleon says it, he means I, we, means me. Me, minus Hashem. And when the Altarebbe says it, he means me, meaning I don't exist. I only mean Hashem. Very subtle difference. And it's interesting that in order for us to come to understanding the deepest levels of Tyra, it's interesting that we have to have that contrast. Wow. You know, for instance, we see what's going on in the world now from the river to the sea, um, all the sushi will be free, you know. <laughs> this week, all the sushi is free, whatever it is. You have to somehow have both contrasts of incredible truth being discovered by people and at the same time, people becoming, excuse me, dumber than ever and saying these, you know, these ridiculous things and you seem to have that contrast. Um, all, all, all I know is if you ever wore braces and you have to, have to wear a retainer, it's like, at night when you wear a retainer, your, your teeth move into place. Then you take it off during the day and they move sort of out of place. And then they move back into place. Why not just wear braces the whole time? Because the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth strengthens your teeth so that ultimately when the retainer and the braces come off, they are permanently in a good place. <laughs> Orthodontic tip. Otherwise, you just wear braces and that's it, no retainer. So there's a reason for the retainer, just back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And they develop, like training wheels, and they develop their, your teeth develop their own strength, their own stability, stable reference point. So this, this, this Napoleon fighting the Alta Rebbe, obviously Napoleon sensed, or that Klipa sensed that we came to a moment of the revelation of the deepest aspects of Tyra through Chabad Chassidus, and at that moment they needed to attack. They needed to come along and present the opposite, the opposite view, which they called truth. And that's why nobody else understood that. Everybody else said, even every Jewish leader who was dealing with more superficially said, but, the, but Napoleon said he's going to give us honor and riches. Life will at least be good for the Jewish people. And the Alter Rebbe said, not eternally good. Not eternally good. It's true. It'll be more comfortable. And it was very painful for the Alter Rebbe to see that uh, it was not simple for us. It was it was a very painful moment in history. But the Alter Rebbe essentially threw his life into the battle to win this battle, the battle that continues today. And that's why, obviously, he didn't just pass away in the village of Piano and Chaftalitavis because he caught a cold or he had pre-COVID, you know, or something like that. And there was no, you know, they put him on a ventilator. He didn't pass away because he got the flu and it became so extreme and so he passed away. I mean, come on. He had to throw his life into the battle to win. It was a very powerful moment in history. In history, Which, by the way, when you think about it, 
we are all now being facing these moments all the time. There are many moments when you're given this tiny opportunity when literally you're standing at a crossroads and you're representing many, many, many people in the world and you don't know it. And you're being asked to have to step up to the plate and be a little bigger than your natural self um, to win the battle of truth over falsehood. Right? Even like that professor like that professor who was a lefty, lefty, lefty in, in somewhere in the U.S., and when he saw all of the people demonstrating from the river to the sea, he started screaming at them. And he said, you're like Nazis. What is wrong with you? You're like Nazis. You're saying not, like Nazi propaganda. What is, what is wrong with you? And he was so angry, and the police took him away. And the next day when he taught his class, a girl came up to him and gave him flowers and said, thank you so much for standing up for the truth. And he said, oh, are you Jewish, right? And she said, no, but we're so we're so impressed by you and proud of you. And he said, wait a minute, you're in my class. You know that I don't, she said, you're the chosen people. He said, you know, I don't believe that. She said, well, we do. Right. So he was asked to step up, up to the plate at that moment. He wasn't, he wasn't actually talking to the Jewish people. For saying that. So what we're, what we're say, talking about is this revolution that began at that point with the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe threw his life into the battle to win to win this war, and he did. It was a very difficult uh, difficult thing. And really, um, I think later on in the Sikh, it says, um, people did, Torah scholars did not go to France. It was a very, it was a very unholy place. They didn't go to France. Only after that, a little bit, I think the Rebbe Rashab went to Menton, and, and he wrote some of, he, he wrote some of his, some of the great monumental works, in France, etc. So that is our way of taking from them. Now, in the end, in the end, the nations of the world, at the end of the whole story, first the nations of the world say, this is mine. Holiness, holiness and truth belongs to us. You Jewish people just don't have the truth. That's what they're saying now, by the way. <laughs> we have truth, you don't. And we're like, duh, you know, what's going on? In the end, they will finally come to us and say, we're really sorry. We're really sorry. You do have truth. Please teach us. That's the end of the story. Okay, so where do we see today the tremendous transformation in, the trans in, in France? If it was a place where, where Torah scholars really couldn't go, and then at some point, as, as Rebbe Sanchayim Mushka said, we, you know, the Rebbe and the Rebbe moved to France, and they specifically lived there in their early years. Mm -hmm. No, the Rebbe. Oh, the Rebbe. And Rebbe Sanchayim Mushka, they lived in France. And she said to a shlucha, we planted and sowed, and you, we planted, and now you will, you will reap the benefits of what we planted there, which is an unusually, uh, unusual revelation that she would be so open and say that. So the Chiddush now is that now you have a yeshiva, in Lubavitch, that is like the real Lubavitch. In other words, not only did France stop being a place of klipa, at least in the macro level, a place where you could not have a yeshiva, because it was so, it was so, it was so bad, it was so evil. But it became a place where you could have a yeshiva. You could have yeshiva tzamchetimim. And in fact, the yeshiva illuminates the entire world. So the place that normally couldn't receive anything good now becomes a place that emanates the good stuff. 
like the Balchuba, you talk to him and he says, I don't want to hear anything. Shabbos, I don't want to hear, she says, I don't want to hear anything about Shabbos. Leave me alone. And then you meet her five years later and she's a big Rebison. So like, wait a minute, you were the girl who said, I know people, I know Balchuba who said, somebody said she was, she was in Yerushalayim, she was in a hospital, you know, 45 years ago. And somebody came in and said, hi, how are you feeling? Would you like to light Shabbos candles? And she said, if you don't step out of my room now, the police will be here within 10 minutes. Get out now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, everybody did that. And so now she's a big Rebison. <laughs> you know? And then she's, I, we all have. the one that put up the biggest It's always the one. So we all have stories that means first there's resistance I don't want to hear. And you can, you can test that with, with, with children. The same thing. You know, by the way, it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a snua. If you speak to them about vitamins, you know, you really need to take vitamin C. Ma, please do me a favor. Leave me alone. Okay. You and your vitamin C. Like, what's her name? Caitlin Keith. Her mother used to do essential oils and she said, mom, an oil cannot affect your mood and your bodily healing. Do me a favor. And then when she went on her journey and her path and she discovered she discovered all of this, so she became the big expert in all this. Now she has this big company called Vibes Up, and right, and all these vibes thing, you know, it all creates these good vibes and does all this healing, etc. When she told her, Mom, uh, an oil, a smell of an oil cannot create healing. So she became the big expert. So what you have is a pattern where I don't want to hear what you have to say. I will not receive your light, period. Then eventually, okay, fine, talk, I'll, I'll ignore you, but... I won't block you from talking. And then eventually, okay, all right, I'm hearing what you have to say. I don't accept it. And then eventually, okay, I'm hearing what you have to say. Interesting. And then eventually, I'm the teacher and I tell you. I'm the expert and I tell you. That is the pattern of darkness confronting light. Or when light is trying to get somewhere, the darkness says, no, not here. And then eventually, that dark place becomes the source of light. That is France. It represents a type of energy, it's a type of transformation. So the Rebbe ends by saying... The ah, so that's exactly it. So how did it all happen with the transformation of, of this nigun, of the song of... Because the song of a country represents its entire energy. So the song of France was that victory. And the person who came up with with either the Marseillaise or Napoleon's march, he was not a musical person. He was a simple soldier. One morning he woke up, this tune was going in his head, so he started to sing it, and everybody liked it, and they started to sing it, and then eventually it got to Napoleon. He said, this is going to be our march. And it came, so to speak, from heaven. And when the Alter Rebbe, it says that the Alter Rebbe sent his spy to the border and said, I want to know what the enemy army is, is singing. You know, do they feel that they'll be victorious or not? And they sang him, they sang for the Alter Rebbe that march. And the Alter Rebbe says he became, he put his head down and became, went into deep tevekas, deep, deep holy concentration. And he, picked, and, he, and he picked up his head and he said, this is a victory nigun. But in the end, we'll be divanatach. Meaning, in the end, we will be victorious. Holiness will be victorious. Tyre will be victorious, not them. Meaning that their nigun, their song, was created for holiness. It's just temporarily they're holding on to it, like the vessels in the in the, the vessels of the base of Midrash in the Vatican. They hold on to it temporarily, and then eventually they say it really belongs to you. We're so sorry. Please take it.
So how it happened was that that one little stanza of that the French national anthem was changed by the government, and nobody even knew about it. One little one little stanza, but once it was, I'm sorry, somebody once when they learned the sicha, they called up the French government and asked, "Did you change anything with the national anthem?" And they said, uh, "We'll look into it." And they came back and said, "Yes." Yeah. Nobody even knew about it. It's a very subtle change. The minute they changed a couple of notes, they lost the nigun. They lost the song. Like, sorry, one more point. There was once a peasant, the Balshemtov saw him, and he was, the peasant was singing a song, and the Balshemtov said, sing it, here's a coin. Sing it again, here's another coin. And they went through this many times. Sing it again, there's another coin. And one, at some point, seeing the other coin, Balshemtov said, sing it again, and the, and the, the peasant said, a non-Jewish peasant, he said, I, I, I don't remember it. Well, he lost it. Kedusha. No, it wasn't his anymore. It wasn't his anymore. Kedusha bought it from him. The Baal Shem Tov bought it from him, and it was no longer his. Yeah. So that's what happened with the French national anthem, that as the Rebbe says, Hasidim in 770 started to sing this nigun. Right, right. Or Haderes Vamuna. Haderes Vamuna. And they say that, I guess it was 1974, that when the French people, those were really the days of all the French people. Before, when my, you know, so you can imagine, that's Simchas I guess, 1974. The French people are in 770, wild, dancing, and all of a sudden the Rebbe starts to sing Haderes Vamuna to their, their, you know, they're very, uh, they're very patriotic in France. To their song, their eyes are popping. They don't know what to think. How is it possible? So the Rebbe saying Hasidim started to sing it. Yeah, the Rebbe started to sing it at Deres Ben Muna, and they, they took it up. I can't sing it on the thing. Oh, oh. So, and there's much more to all of this, but basically we're talking about France being transformed through Klipa trying to take truth and then Kedusha taking truth back and now taking ownership of it and taking ownership of France through its national anthem. And once once that was taken, then France began, began to transform to a place not only that would accept holiness, which it couldn't before, but which became the source of light in the entire world. So what, what the life skill for all of this is and, and the hayrah from the Rebbe is, that we need to now, number one, make in the month of Kislev three for Brendan. And we need to do it in places that still seem to be um, the receivers. You know, you're the main, like 770 is the main place. We're just Boise, Idaho, or whatever it is, you know, Mequon. We're this little nothing place. There is no more little nothing place. You can live in, you know, Monticello, New York, whatever it is. There is no more little nothing place. Every makabal has to become a mashpia. Every moon has to become a sun. Every single thing that felt like, I'm just a small person. You know, when people say, I'm just a small, simple person, I'm like, it's not my thing. I don't like the small, simple person thing. Every single place that used to be seen as a receiver, because the big experts have all the light, and then the small people have to just receive light, the light, those days are over. Yeah. And we need to step into that fully. And you see it. Yeah. That with technology today, there is nothing from stopping of stopping you from becoming a leader in Torah 
Because you have technology, you can have... anything. I mean, you can basically Google anything, look up anything, YouTube has detailed instructions, how to become this, how to do that, how to do right. I learned how to, you know, take apart computers and build them and fix them based on YouTube videos. Right, exactly. So that means that there is no more the experts and the students. Those days are over. There's the equality. And so if the Rebbe is demanding that go to those places that were the receivers and make them into the, the, the givers, the ones that shine light, just like France was not even a receiver. And, and it became a place that started to receive and then began to become the source of light, you know, like the source, like the real Lubavitch, the source of light. That means our job is to become the source of light at any given moment wherever we are. Where, wherever we are in the most powerful way, that, I would say that's the skill from, from this Parsha of become the source of light, become the mashpia, become the leader, become the, the, the queen. Wherever you are at any given moment, literally when you're walking down the street, when you're anything, become, like Rabbi Feller used to say, you're in a taxi, you know, let's say for men, you're in a taxi, you don't just take the taxi, you say, the taxi driver turned around him and said, how are you today? No, so Rabbi Feller said, I have to talk to him. The plain taxi driver said, how are you today to the taxi driver? The taxi driver said, "Uh, I'm fine, thank you. And Rabbi Feller said, don't thank me, thank God, right? I'm in a taxi. I am the mashpia. I am here to spread light. I am not here. Of course, in order to spread light, I have to be able to receive light. Because if I'm only spreading, if I'm only giving out light and I'm not receiving it, then I become like Napoleon. Right. It's my light. I'm, I can only do it effectively, spread my light, if it's really not my light. It's such a... It, it, it's, it's such an oxymoron. So, so let's end with this bracha that we should all step into our true leadership um, qualities, but in a way of total receiver and total giver at the same time. Those who spread the true light by being total receptacles for whatever Hashem is sending us at that split second, acknowledging that it's Hashem's, and then spreading His light and somehow becoming. Our one unit, our light with his light in this very holy upgraded frequency that we spread the light of Mashiach to the entire world and it should be immediately now. Um.